Hello there, and welcome to episode number 365 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and we have an episode for every day of a year, minus leap year. How cool is that? Today I am talking with Abby Zeidel. We had a candid conversation at RWA in July, and we talked about everything. If you are curious about how publishing is changing and what has changed, this episode will be very much your catnip. Abby is the Associate Director for Marketing at Gallery Books, which is part of Simon & Schuster, and she's also a senior editor, and she has worked in editorial and acquisition for many, many years. We are going to talk about everything from the process of writing and selling a book to the places you find that book in a store and how all of those things have changed over the years. We're going to talk about what's up with mass market and what's up with trade. And what does she love most about working in romance publishing? We're basically taking a 35,000 foot view and there is a lot to discuss. I will have links to where you can find Abby online in the show notes, but Of course, you can always email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave me a message at 1201-371-3272. I do love hearing from you. Your messages are awesome. Today's podcast is sponsored by Muff Stuff, book three in the Muffia series by Anne Royal Nicholas. Costly, coddled canines are missing all over the Southland. Sarah, a baking whiz and member of LA's most dynamic women's book group, is a soon-to-be single mom who's about to get foreclosed upon thanks to her philandering ex-husband. Her son, Nathaniel, is being bullied at science camp. His L's sound like W's, and the only movie he'll watch is The Princess Bride. No wonder she's having trouble getting through the muff's latest read. Sarah launches a plan to save her house while building a baking goods empire, and before too long, things start looking up. Her cookies are a hit. Nathaniel's L's are improving, and she meets a handsome widower who makes her feel sexy for the first time in years. But when she foils a plot to steal her family's adopted French bulldog, and Muff Lauren's Boston Terriers go missing in the middle of her Labor Day barbecue, it's time for the Muffia to mobilize. With the assistance of a Palm Springs Magic Men Live aficionado, a vengeful pug owner, and three bichon frisés, the muffs set out to nab the nappers and discover dog thieves come in surprising guises. Muff stuff and all the books in the Muffia series can be found wherever books are sold, and you can find out more at anroyalnicholas.com. Today's podcast transcript is brought to you by Star Knight Errant, thrust by A.K. Shelley. If you like Celia Kyle and Anna Hackett, you will love this sci-fi romance filled with action and passion. When Martian air science engineer Cass Headley takes a dare to use her new artificial intelligence system for a night of erotic release, there's only one man she can imagine spending time with the legendary comic book hero, Star Knight Errant. She imagines strong hands, hard abs, and bubble baths, but her black market AI has another idea, an illegal fight club that will only end in her sexy companion's death or hers. When Evander Moore transports to an unknown desert planet, his mission changes. Instead of brokering a peace deal, he'll figure out what backwater he's landed on and enjoy a well-earned weekend off with a gorgeous scientist. But when things get hotter than a supernova between them, he discovers he only has 18 hours to stop an AI bent on murder, convince Cass he's more than fiction, and find a way to cross the gulf between galaxies to bring her home. The Orange County chapter of RWA gave this story the Charlotte Award for Emerging Writers in 2018, and author Anita Filmar says it hits all the buttons to excite and thrill. Star Knight Errant, Thrust by A.K. Shelley is on pre-order now wherever books are sold and releases August 26th. Find out more at akshelley.com. And of course, I will have links to these books in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. Eternal and copious thanks to the podcast Patreon community who helped me ensure that every episode is transcribed, every episode in the archives receives a transcript, and that every episode is accessible to everyone, which is important to me and many readers and listeners. If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are helping me keep going each week. 365 episodes. That's a lot. That's a lot of episodes. If you would like to join the Patreon community and support the show, it would be wonderful if you did. 
Our Patreon is patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 a month and your support means a lot. So thank you in advance. I will have information at the end of the episode as to who this music is that you are listening to. And I will have a terrible joke because I'm really enjoying putting those at the end of every episode. And I will have links to everything we talk about in this episode, including the podcast that Abby tells us about. But for now, let's do this interview on with the podcast. All right. So basically, it's just like we're going to hang out and talk, except we have microphones because that's not awkward at all. Awesome. No, totally not. I feel like karaoke might break out at some point, but we'll keep it short because you won't have to license it. Yeah, that works. I mean, <laughs> it would take a while for them to track me down anyway. I think so. so sing all you want. For I don't sure. care. Oh. So did you have a nice author lunch? I did. We had some lovely, lovely authors who were in town. That's the best thing about RWA. I was just going to say that you, you, that must be one of the perks mm-hmm. of A, it's in New York. Yes. And B, you get to have lunch with people you work with individually yeah. all and year. It's so true. And the thing is, it's so funny because this business is strangely isolating and yet the community is so strong it's a weird dichotomy and i think rwa really brings it up because all these authors that you love are whether they're working a day job or not they're producing their art in tiny isolated boxes Mm -hmm. a lot i mean then they have writers groups and things and we were talking today at lunch about how different of these authors prefer to do they write in a coffee house do they write on their own what do they use um and editors, like, I have had relationships with authors where I had never met them in person until book three. Like, <laughs> there's sometimes not a need or a reason to have to do FaceTime because everything is electronic and on email. And um, so sometimes it's really funny. A, a conference like this comes along and they're like, I'm coming to RWA or, you know, oh, my gosh, that's great. And then you have to remember to do the wait, how will I know it's you? Yeah. You know, I've, especially if it's a new one and they haven't turned in an author photo yet. It's like, well, um, what and do you photos like? don't always look like the authors. No, they, no. I don't look, I don't look a lot like my author photo anymore. Oh, yeah. It's an no. older one. No, that's true. So let me back up a second. Yes. Would you please tell me who you are and what is your title now? That is a good point. Great like, high I'm empress. Some lady. I would love that to be my title. I'm having new business cards printed with that as we speak. Well, is your boss here? Do you want me to go have a word? <laughs> We're really close. <laughs> Rock Center is right down the street. We oh, can make it happen. Yeah. Um, no, my I am Abby Zidal. Hi, Abby Zidal. <laughs> it's so nice to meet you. <laughs> See you. Um, and my current title is Associate Director of Marketing for Gallery Books, which is a division of Simon & Schuster. Fabulous. I sound very fancy. And I kept my senior editor title, um, which is sort of still in my back pocket, because for 17 years-ish, I was just an editor. And then I got curious and started looking over the fence and had the opportunity to uh, learn some new skills and learn some new things and hop over to the marketing department. And so I still keep my hand in. I have a couple of authors, but I don't have to actively acquire a full list anymore. So for me, it's the best of both worlds. And I've gotten to see a whole other side of the publishing business, which has been instructive. And a lot of like, girl, God, if you had known this, how this really worked 12 years ago, you know, things would have been different. Things would have at least made a lot more sense. Yeah. (laughs) Now, it would seem from working in editorial for 17 years, and then moving over to marketing a few years ago, you have seen a lot of the changes in the industry and in the genre from multiple perspectives. Yeah, definitely. That's that's really true. And I'll back it up sort of further than that even because I got into this business because I was a reader of romance. Um, I loved it. I started reading them at 13. Yep. I had my very first romance, Surrender to Ecstasy. Isn't it amazing how romance readers remember their I first? I remember. I remember my first. You always remember your first. And I <laughs> hid it. Um, I, I, uh, rode horses and would go out to the barn for a riding lesson and I hid it in my tack box there. So mom, (laughs) so mom didn't know that I was reading this, this wicked, wicked, wicked book. book. Exactly. And it was very like peak bodice ripper. Um, my was, it was Midsummer Magic early by 80s. Catherine Coulter. Same thing. Early, yeah. early nineties, late eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she was, a, she was either a Spitfire or a Firebrand or both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was definitely fire, fire, and she had red hair. <laughs> yep, and some amazing eyeshadow and clothing choices on the front. Oh cover. my god, yes, oh, yeah. yes, like or like that classic Johanna Lindsay cover, and um, was it Johanna Lindsay or Bertree Small? Sorry, 
red, red hair, purple, purple eyeshadow. Like, That's Patrice Small. Yes, it's the it's the golden cream colored one. Yes. Aiden. Aiden is the heroine. Yes. And, and I've forgotten which the title is, but someone who's going to be listening to this is going to be screaming the title. Yes. And then there's the Love for All older, Time. Older, maybe you might be right. About it's part that. of the Sky O'Malley series. People look it up. Those books are so so good. They're nuts. Yeah, they are completely nuts. Yeah, but they're so good. I also love the very old Jude Devereaux. I want to say it might be the Raider or one of those where the heroine's hair is like this full 180 degree pinwheel of yeah. gold. Like, like yes. he's swinging her around while putting her on a horse. And yes. the hair is like 60% the of, the hair is, of the cover. Yeah, so much fan hair in the 80s. Yes. So much fan hair. And boobs. Oh, yeah. Tiny little women. Big, giant yep. boobs. Yep, Ugh. yes. Tragically, no women in the 16th century could walk, apparently. No. They all just toppled, toppled clean over. Yeah, f- face first. Yes. So what are some of the things that you can point to as this is still changing? I was just talking about this today that I feel like we are in an era of all of us are in an era of disruption right now. Everything is disrupt this, disrupt that. And we're sort of disrupting publishing. And obviously the biggest change is the rise of the ebook. Right. um, Because children, I am older than the internet, terrifyingly. Um, But uh, it's, yeah. We still look fabulous. We so look good. <laughs> um, and so when I Welcome first was just... two old publishing crows. Yay! <laughs> is that the name of this podcast? Because it, it is should now. be. It is now. It should be. <laughs> so when I started, there weren't ebooks, And you really had um, just a few major accounts, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so the writing and publishing and selling of these books was kind of understood to be like, we get it. It goes from author to agent to publishing house to sales rep to bookseller you know and it was this kind of closed circuit very streamlined and there weren't that many people that you needed to pass off to the next right it was sort of like there were one there was one road and if you wanted to play you walked it and certainly some would do better rwa is built on yes because that is what it was and rwa in a way as it arose functioned i think in a lot of ways as a union for romance authors you know Mm -hmm. and was important because the the closed loop nature of that path meant that when you're the people who are like hey surprise we are choosing which books get published and also we're the ones who can talk to the sales reps because you don't know how to reach people don't have access to those people uh it took an organization like an rwa to enforce to underscore and enforce how powerful the romance author group as a block mm-hmm. could be and even more so how um powerful and profitable the romance reading audience mm-hmm. would be i mean because at the end of the day money talks as, oh it absolutely does as it ever has as it ever shall be and that uh understanding because i think like a lot of enterprises that are female driven female led and largely female certain organizations or people automatically dismiss it and so they were like isn't this cute that the ladies are writing the lady things we would never read them yada 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 and it takes an organization to be like hi 50 percent of your entire paperback business is us so Mm -hmm. let's listen up i've said this to so many people that i've talked to this week that i know in publishing um when I started attending RWA 11 years ago, I cannot believe this is my 11th RWA, holy cow. I knew that most of the readers were women. I knew that most of the writers were women. I also did not know until I started attending RWA how many of the people who in editorial, marketing, publicity are also women. Mm-hmm. The people who produce the books are yep. very often women. And yet you guys come up against this line of guys in pleated khaki pants <laughs> who are above you on some level who are going to be like, wait, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it's like your whole professional job is to break through the khaki yeah. pants line, basically, wherever yeah. it is. If it's the retailer or if it's the mm-hmm. if it's the executive department or if it's some other line, you, mm-hmm. you've got to break through the line. It's true. And I feel like that is happening. I mean, one of the things that I like uh, working for Simon and Schuster is that we are led by a very strong, thoughtful, smart woman, mm-hmm. Carolyn Reedy, mm-hmm. and um, I just think that's cool. You know, mm-hmm. it's great to see a woman in the line. You yeah. know, no khaki pants here. No, nope. um, nope. it's a pleasure nope. to see a woman at the highest, yeah. the highest point in our company. Uh, and indeed, she uh, has always been very 
respectful of the power of the romance buyer and reader. And also I think that along the chain too, when I think about um, the sales reps we're working with and the book buyers and the account managers are also, are also, you know, women are moving up and up and up. So I'm happy to see that. And perhaps the economic power of romance in some way contributed to that as well as I hope just general, we're trying to get, Mm -hmm tiny bit more enlightened as we go who mm-hmm. knows um but yeah i think that's kind of special and i think it definitely that maybe, makes our gathering special uh, yeah i think it really contributes to the the sense of community at an event like this yes. because um because <laughs> all of us in some way have had to deal with being dismissed oh and yeah yet have this confidence and this if you if you falter, because again, it can be an isolating experience to be out there writing your book and not, maybe you're not on the publishing train yet, or you're like, where do I get my feedback? Or I don't even know if I want to share this with someone yet. To come to an event like this um, feels empowering and oh, yeah. and exhausting and like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? But uh, the uh, power of seeing all these other women who are celebrating and supporting the art and the business of romance uh, mm-hmm. is, I think, really inspiring and it energizing. Really, it really is energizing. Yeah. Especially when you get a group of people together who all love something that is part of a very isolating mm-hmm. process. I mean, reading is often a very solitary thing. You can do reading with other people, but ultimately it's just you in the book. Yep. And yet you get us all in a room where we all realize, oh, we all love this same thing. Mm-hmm. You have enough for many hours of talking. Yes. And finally, you're with people who have probably read the same books. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times otherwise you could be talking to a book group in your hometown or whatever, and everybody might love reading, but they're reading the latest, I don't know, the latest Ruth Ware mm-hmm. or Ask Me Maybe or Three Women or whatever the book du jour is. And you're like, oh my gosh, but did you read the newest Alyssa Cole? Blink, 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 blink. Wait, who? You know? Exactly. (laughs) And you're like, trust me, you'd love it. But it's romance. But it's romance. And they're like, oh, I don't really read romance. And you're like, what? You have a problem with good books? My other question for you, and I will take this out if you cannot answer it, is mass market paperback dying? I will attempt to answer it tactfully. So yes. So... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I didn't say that. No, you did not say that. Sarah said that. <laughs> I. It is absolutely challenging right now. But I had a conversation with a mass market book buyer. I mean, not a consumer, an uh, account account buyer. This morning, right? Um, who was like, "What's going on?" Because we are, you know, we're getting them from some publishers and not from others, and and so I am not going to put a nail in the coffin yet. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when ebooks first were like taking off like crazy, I thought, oh, well, that's the end of mass market because mm-hmm. why bother? Because um, the profit margin on a mass market is it's quite so small. small. And that is the thing to get to make a mass market make sense, you have to ship masses of copies. Oh, so that's also part of the mass in mass market. A little bit. Yeah. The idea is like you're, you, the you're- volume makes up for the lower price point. Exactly. And when the volume is not big enough to make up for that, then, you know, a publisher has to look at their bottom line and say, well, this makes more sense to do as a trade paperback. Which is why I see so you many know. more writers moving into trade. It's That's part of our decision, certainly. But the other thing that we're finding, and it kind of arose in the wake of the rise of the indie published author, mm-hmm. because a number of authors, many authors, started uh, self-publishing or indie publishing ebooks. And then their authors were like, or their readers were like, I love this. I want a keeper. You know, you read it mm-hmm. in E, and if you love it enough, you want something for your keeper shelf. It becomes an artifact, and a it's, tangible it is. It's an objet of sorts. Yes, it is. And when they get a print copy, it's not a mass market. It's mm-hmm. trade paperback because trade. to do it yourself. And now I feel like there's a generation of readers on the younger side, but not like millennial, millen- I mean, yeah. not babies, but who... Yeah read in e but also print but to them the mass market is not the default format for the genre it's trade it's trade or hardcover and they're like uh, and if they see a mass market 
They're like, like oh, it's a little gross. Which it's because it feels flimsy and the paper is different and it's not as bright, you know, no, and it's sort it's of a different production, value. you know, and so it, um, it is made more cheaply so that it can be sold more cheaply. Mm-hmm. But there is not an automatic ship. Yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, I still I love a mass market because I have to commute on a subway and I. Um, uh, not very balanced and so I like to hold on with one hand yeah it's hard to hold even a trade is a little hard to manage that's hard with my and turn those pages you know so um, a mass market is easier that way I'm sure there are plenty of people like girl have you heard of ebooks but I also don't I I like print I don't I don't read a ton on my phone say Um, I but I think that's part of it yeah and I also think that trade paperbacks for some readers have become a object that they style they're more instagrammable yeah they're sure. they're instagrammable and then you match your book to your manicure there's mm-hmm. the period of time in which you're experiencing that book is longer yeah like for me and i imagine for you a book could be a day maybe yep. a couple hours but for some readers that book is going to be with them for enough time that they're going to adjust mm-hmm. a wardrobe or manicure they're gonna, it's going to be an accessory for yes. that time and the trade format works better for mm-hmm. um that kind of yeah. You know, basically, it's not selfie because they're not all in the right. picture, but it's, it's like, all it's self self representation. Thank yeah. you. That's what I was trying to go mm-hmm. for. Did you know, by the way, that Costco has the venti size paperbacks? That's what I call them. You know, the, the tall, tall stretched out. We call them premium paperbacks. All right, those are called ventis. But I, I love mean, it. I, they're, they're venti size. They're now called ventis. Hashtag venti. Yeah, they're venti it. size. But I, I saw them in Costco. I'm like, they brought back the venti because I saw it in grocery stores mm-hmm. years ago. I saw a bunch of tall, skinny Noras, yep. and but this one was Nora Roberts's last one, I think, Shelter in Place. Mm-hmm. Like a Clive Cussler, yeah. James Patterson. Male thrillers have done well in that In the size. venti size. Because that's also a very popular airport size. Yeah. And so... It's tall enough that you can business see dude, it. The khaki pants traveler. Yep. Who's like, eh, I'm not going to look at a spreadsheet this flight. Sure, I'll pick up... This. In it, whatever book has a helicopter on the front of it. Yeah, that is exploding. Know. Exploding helicopter books. Yep. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> Which is a metaphor in our business. With your work in both editorial and in marketing, mm-hmm. what are the things that you still absolutely love about working in romance publishing? Because you wouldn't stay if you didn't love it, even though it's a really hard job, right? Right. It's still, um, I, th- I started, I thought I was going to be a professor. Oh, I had that same goal. Right? And then they were I like, wait, there's only five tenure jobs? Yeah. And also, I wrote half a dissertation uh, on romance novels. <gasps> no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was arguing that romance was proto-feminist and not anti-feminist. Oh. And um, this sort of seminal, one of the texts that I used as I was writing my diss was, um, I'm going to get backwards, uh, Dangerous Men and Adventurous Women. Yes. The, other the Jenny Cruzy. Yes, and Jane Ann Krenz. Jane Ann Krenz is in there. Yes. Laura Kinsale is in there. Yes, it's wonderful. Basically, it's a collection of essays written by successful romance authors of the time. And it's a feminist look at at the genre and, it, and it's interesting because if you read it now there's some parts of it that do not age well it's not super intersectional and oh, it's not there is yeah, no intersection some, there yeah. is just one road yeah it is one road and it is a very white road but yeah. the it is both a a product that doesn't always age well mm-hmm. and then there are still some parts of it where i'm like wow like i still think about that laura Kinsale argument mm-hmm. where she makes the argument that the person who with whom the reader is identifying is the hero not the heroine mm. And that's part of what explains the, the the great popularity of Fabio and the single male covers. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't that we were aspiring to be with this person. We were aspiring to have the agency of that person. Yeah. And I think agency is the key. Oh, it totally the is. The key element of the romance story entirely. Absolutely. Um, and for me, one of the things that I was talking about in my distance that I find rewarding in romance is that it models... Um, it models a world in which a woman's emotional experience is valued and deserving of fulfillment. Yes. Uh, and I mean, if you think about it, even in terms of like the trope of the mom in commercials where mom is such a giver, she does everything for everything else. She needs a piece of chocolate to take some time for herself. And I'm like, yeah, mom also needs to, um, you know, have an orgasm. Like, yeah. I'm suddenly like, am I allowed to say this? I feel, I assume I'm allowed to say this on this podcast. Oh, there's, but there's yeah. no FCC. <laughs> Excellent. Seen the name um, of my website? <laughs> That's all you want. Perfect. Um, 
And so not just that, oh, isn't that nice that she fell in love with a man? It's like, no, she, it's that the man fell in love with the woman that she is and she was seen mm-hmm. and that her needs were privileged and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Like there's, you know, there's not a, you landed him and you just had to play by the rules. Mm-hmm. It was, he loves you because you didn't, you know? And anyway, I think that's, I think what I love about the genre in general are um, the ways in which the writers of this genre challenge the status quo and how this genre blends fun escapist fantasy and genuine like real world issues in the same book that lets it almost lets you emotionally or mentally practice. Oh, I can't believe she had to do that. How, how you will talk to your boss about something that, that Mm -hmm. didn't happen for you or getting your next raise, or Mm -hmm. maybe it's just suddenly your connection and your empathy for this character who is getting short shrift and then turns it around, makes you realize, wait, maybe I need to demand more of that in my own life. Yeah. It rewards you for having ambition and agency and pursuing agency. Yes, absolutely. And I think we need as many models of that as we can, because it's, you know, how many studies have shown, like when you're looking for a job and a man will see a job posting with 10 requirements and have three of them and be like, yeah, that's close enough. I might as well ask. Mm -hmm. And a woman will have nine out of 10 and be like, well, I don't have that 10th. So maybe I shouldn't. Um, And I think anything (laughs) that we consume, you know, that encourages us to be like, yeah, you should girl. Like, yeah, it's a good thing. And I've loved more recently because I'm fairly new to the marketing side. I spent, I've spent most of my career thus far in editorial and, um, it's been great seeing the evolution of successful stories and successful voices in romance and in publishing in general, because we certainly of course still have a publishing so white problem. And I mean, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's been nice to see the khaki pants going, but we definitely need, um, more diversity. And I think that in addition to the fact that we're starting to see some more diversity in books produced, the conversation is also encompassing who is inside Mm -hmm. the tower, you know, and uh, starting and it is slow going and, you know, should have happened a long time ago. But uh, I think that even the biggest publishing houses are, are, trying to hire and promote mindfully. Mm -hmm. And um, certainly uh, as we look at building lists and stuff, Mm -hmm. that is uh, a a very relevant part of the conversation. And it's, um, I think for all, sometimes I'm like, Amazon is trying to kill us. Uh, You know, it's, it can be challenging to have such a strong, uh, a single channel entity but, that is so encompassing. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And everyone, as I've said to you, everyone takes their turn in the Amazon toilet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Everybody. It's takes very a turn. true. It's very true. But the one thing Amazon has taught us is data is power. Oh, and so true. I think, you know, publishing before that was a series of hunches. And so, the decision making was being done by, well, what has worked for us in the past? You do what you've always done. And then every now and then, like, you'd be like, this thing is crazy. I've never seen anything like it, but somehow we love it enough. And suddenly you get, I mean, back in the day, like the nanny diaries, who would, you know, who would guess? And it spawned this rise of sort of like confessional behind the scenes books that, and that one was like, who would know what Amazon did do and bring into the light in a big way with, by opening the means of production is prove the existence of audiences that I think we, you know, it would have been nigh impossible to convince the industry existed Yeah, because at heart, one of the challenges is always, and as you say, we're, you know, cruise ships, not speedboats. So even when there is willingness to change inside, uh, we're not nimble. No, You have to, there's so many moving pieces that you have to all 
turn at the same time. It's like turning in a Jenga tower. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're like, sure, just rotate that 90 degrees. And you're like, mm, no, that's okay. A lot of it. No, it's not that simple. Uh, and so it can be challenging, but, uh, at heart, we just want to sell books. Yeah. And so it takes sometimes a while to learn how you might be getting in your own way of doing that mm-hmm. or simply to, um, have enough people at the right levels to say, but have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and look how it's doing. How can we use this or emulate it? Um, but at least, you know, the very first step is that you have to get people to acknowledge at least that, that there, is a problem. there is a problem and that in the long term it is vital to our, our own survival to, to solve it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's not just because, well, it would be good if we did that. You have to speak money and yes. you're like, well, look what's out there. You know, look at these books that are selling. People want this. Go and get the money. Like, yeah. make it happen. Like it will pay money? you off. Yeah. I know it's harder because it's different from what you've always done, but the money is still there. Right. Right. So you used to have a podcast. I did. I XOXO did. XOXO yes. Yes. The XOXO After Dark podcast. Um, this was part of this was part of my transition to marketing from editorial because because you don't acquire at all, right? Not really. I, I, in theory, could acquire, but, and I have a couple of authors that I kept who I still work with. But to be honest, uh, boy, marketing takes a lot of time. You don't (laughs) I don't know if you've heard. I have heard this is the case. And everything does, but I feel like it would be really challenging to take on a new novelist, say, because I think that the editor can and should be really instrumental in helping a writer a fiction writer with their long game and thinking about here's your career and I don't know that I could do that part of the job justice Mm -hmm. for someone who ultimately wants to be maybe a you know a bookie or two bookie or even writer and still do my other job Mm -hmm. so um I'm more of a probably one-off girl if that happens. Right. But, but yeah. never say never. Never say never. But anyway, um, XOXO After Dark was um, a site that we developed kind of, again, as we were developing an ebook program. Right. And it was leaning heavily on romance with a bit of women's fiction and, and adjacent mm-hmm. thrown in because uh, that market is so uh, vibrant on the internet. Yep. And we needed a place to show um, them off. Yep. So we built this website. And we started posting a few times a week and then more and then more. And it spun off. We did some YouTube videos, some of which are still out there. (laughs) And one of the things we got the chance to do was a podcast. And I loved it. I did it with two of my editor pals, Lauren McKenna and Kate Dresser, who are also with me. You guys were so good. You're so good It made us really intense. We were always like collegial friends, but it made us like really good friends. And then we had... Um, our, uh, she was at the time the senior manager, um, in, uh, our marketing department, Diana Velasquez, who was our producer, um, and, uh, would often, she would at our end of year roundups, she Mm -hmm. would like find all those things and she did all the metadata so we could just sit around and talk. And I loved doing that. And it was with the help of CBS studios because CBS owns Simon and Schuster Mm -hmm. and they basically were like looking into do we want to generate more original content and so they let us play and we wound up doing um actually i think just over 200 episodes like mm-hmm. we did a lot you they have, let me do a lot you have a backlist i do you it's kind of living catalog. out there in um it's on like now it's on like anchor.fm because xoxo has sunsetted mm-hmm. so um and the, when did that become a verb? I don't know, but it sounds very techy and markety. So now Doesn't I say it. it. Yeah. I, basically, <laughs> I heard I heard our vice president of like corporate digital marketing say it about something, and I was like, oh, that sounds. And it sounded nicer than died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's come to an end. Yes. Yes. I, I recently had to write an onboarding guide and I'm oh, like, when did that's onboarding become a word? And someone asked me about like, so what's your onboarding process? And I'm like, uh, what are we at sea? Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> I'm like, like, when I did just we tell you stuff. Nautical? I don't know. When, yeah. when did we become like a whole nautical? You know, I know. And I feel like place. I should have a lay and an umbrella drink if we're going to go. Hat, yeah, right? exactly. Hat. I, yeah, I could use a hat for so sure. Exo Hexo has sunsetted, but you're still out there. I know I can still find it on some podcatcher apps. You can. Absolutely. Like it still lives on because we didn't 
eliminate any of it, but it's a little, depending on where you go, some links may be broken because the CBS's podcast, it sold off its podcasting arm. So, mm-hmm. um, so the files we, themselves go we transferred ways. them all to, like, I think they may be on both SoundCloud and Anchor, but they're, mm-hmm. they're around somewhere. And in the, the, with my vast spare time, one of these days, I want to sort of, <laughs> clean them up and see that they're still working and stuff but uh they were lots of fun and we talked about books of course and of romance course. but also and we had lots of great author interviews but also just stuff that was relevant to our lives mm-hmm. as women and we were in kind of different stages it sort of just worked out um lauren and i are of similar ages though i'm a little bit older than she is uh and kate is um, a millennial. Mm-hmm. And so we were all sort of, sometimes we were talking about dating versus marriage. I've told stories about my husband and yeah. he doesn't listen to the podcast. So I told some stories about my husband. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, Lauren would talk about she, you know, about having kids cause she yeah. was mother of a young child um, where I am someone who never wanted kids. Right. And um, you know, Kate would, would, tell us stories of the the hell that is dating in new york city yeah um yes. or whatever we have i think our best performing episode ever was the iud will set you free where we talked about our birth control choices yeah um and uh it was it was great fun and i think so that the goal was always um in just the way we we're saying that romance feels very relevant to a lot of things that yes. affect your life. Yes. We were like romance readers want to hear about books and stuff, but also we think they're interested in this because Oh, no question. It's so your books and your life are so intertwined and so we always just tried to talk about stuff that we were curious about that we figured yeah. people like us would be too. And it, it it was a great podcast. Thank you. It is sad that it it, it had to end. I know it, this, that the sunset came. It yes. I, the other thing about I have belief that the sun will rise again one day somehow. But for podcasting, especially romance as a genre in common between two people, breaks down a lot of boundaries because we mm. already know that we're both reading books about intimacy mm-hmm. and vulnerability, and we're both when we know we're reading books that are going to create and elicit a deep emotional response. So we already have this sort of barrier breakdown because we have all of these things in common. It creates a way for people to be very honest. Yes. And I love that when you end up in a conversation with romance readers who you may not know anything about them, Mm -hmm. you can very easily end up talking about your IUD. Totally normal. For sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had a whole long conversation about chafing options because it's human gross. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah. From like, okay, so jockey skimmies are way better than, um, what are the ones that try to kill you? Um, Spanks. Oh, yeah. And I've been getting served, um, which I can't decide if this is useful or rude on Facebook's part, because I've been getting so many ads for, A, there are a million new brands of little bike bike shorty. I love them. Not only because I am just generally sweaty, but I feel so much more covered like secure yes like i got shorts on if yeah some of my skirt gets oh yeah if you have some, a maryland moment on the subway which yeah you're is fine not, you it's know. not uncommon right or you know there's like a car goes by and your skirt mm-hmm. moves and stuff like i am not a duchess i do not have weights in my hemline <laughs> no i like no. having on shorts underneath yeah yep. and then some of the some of the creams that are good for chafing they double as makeup primer <gasps> so if you need your makeup to not move you can use anti-chafing cream because it's the same basic construction astounding and then like your face will be just pristine the whole day it's amazing of course i think one of the things on our podcast they had to teach me what a beauty blender was so i um, someone had to teach me what one was i was too. like oh i was like what's this pink egg thing and they're like girl that's a beauty and i'm blender. like i have a brush don't we use brushes and no. they're like no we don't anymore i can't I just let myself go? Isn't no, it time? <laughs> I, I hired somebody this year to teach me how to do my makeup because my face and my skin changed yeah. and I wear glasses. Mm. So any eye makeup I put on oh my God, the disappears glasses. behind my glasses. I'm like, what do I do? Yes. I was in a wedding this year. I had Book Lovers Con, RWA, and I was doing a bunch of events. And I was like, I'm not hiring a makeup artist to do like a book event, but I also know that I'm going to be photographed. And yeah. I want to look somewhat decent. So I hired a makeup artist. Mm-hmm. She was amazing. She taught me how to do my makeup so that it shows up with my glasses on. And I don't look like, I don't have like fuchsia eyebrows, yep. but I have something on. And I learned so much <gasps> about how to use that beauty blender, including using it for applying powder. Oh. Powder doesn't go anywhere. It stays. It's amazing. Wow. I know. 
I don't know anything about. This has been a making... very servicey podcast. I know already we for are me. just doing all kinds this is of service. Excellent. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and then like I take selfies and I'm like, "How did I do with my eyes?" She goes, "Oh, your brow bone looks great." Oh, yes. that is awesome. That I should do that. Also, I feel like I need to hire someone uh, a selfie trainer. Oh, I have no like, selfie game. None. I don't understand. Like the some people, they can just they're like, "Ooh, selfie!" Boop, and they have one crazy. It takes them a second and a half. I always look perfect. like I'm about to sneeze. I no always look what like happens. I'm my like I'm like I don't know. Somehow my face is this giant plane of like <laughs> cheek. And like squinty eye, and I'm all, and I always when I'm with my husband, I make him take it because his arms are his longer, arms are long. and he's like, but then my head looks too big. I'm like, shut up, it's me we care about. <laughs> Although I have the I have like the airbrush app on my phone to like oh. just kind of smooth you out a little bit, and I uh, took a little little tiny brag because old but cool. Um, Gordon and I were at the Blondie Elvis Costello concert on Wednesday. <gasps> how was it? Because that's how we roll. Is it we're good? Awesome. It was a maze. Yeah, it was incredible. a maze. Um, and I took a selfie while, you know, we were kind of in between the acts and I said, Oh, here, look, I'll face tune it. And he was like the, what? <laughs> and, um, so I just, I just like a quick smoothed it out. And I, and then I like skinnied myself a little bit because yeah. I was like, look, and he's like, no, what is, I don't like, I don't like that. that don't post that. That looks weird. I look like a wax person and I like your face normal. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, sweetie. Husband. I know, but I posted it anyway. I still look good. <laughs> And he's not on social media. You don't understand, sir. Selfie and reality are very different worlds I know. here. There is an ad that keeps going by in Times Square that I see when I'm in the bar at the hotel of these women wearing this long-lasting lipstick, and they keep taking selfies and then kissing their phones. Oh, because, and I'm like, first of all, you're, not on the thing. your phone is dirty. Don't kiss your phone. Second of all, why are you kissing your phone? And third of all, this is not selling me lipstick. It's making me want to study their selfie posture. Like, how are they doing yes. this? How, how is it that they're How arms, do they get the entire group? When they, I, don't, I don't know. I, do, I, I think that there are some people who walk among us who have extendable telescoping arms, mm. and they just haven't told us. That's Well, that would make me feel better about my own inadequacies. Right? I, mean, I'm, I I am I'm very short-limbed. Like, I think my right. inseam when I get pants hem is like 21 inches or something. Yeah. I'm very, very petite in my arms and legs. So I know I can't take right. a good selfie. I know. But I think they have telescoping arms. That must be it. Do, I think do, you're right. Do, do, do. Go, go, get All right. Arm. You heard it here first. Exclusive. Yeah. Telescoping arms. Yeah. <laughs> so with your whole career in romance and all the things you do with romance, what are you reading are excited about that you want to mention just just start naming books because i know you know of at least two i know so many and um what is what is what is like big right now for you guys is it is 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 romantic suspense sunsetting to make room for women's fiction as is what is women's fiction doing is it the sunrise or is it noon sunrise sunset <laughs> no i think it's i mean it's definitely it's, high it's definitely noon. it's sunblock time i mean like it's definitely if, sunblock time. Uh, it's you know high noon or it's two o'clock in the afternoon um uh i think this is also the season for it because oh, yeah. spring and summer are your women's fiction and oh, then yeah. it cools for fall yeah we and take a little rest and go inside shit. Um, but for sure, well, I will uh, take shameless advantage to plug an author that I love, but also is one of the two authors I kept. Bring. So editor Kristen Harmel. She does, um, she does a variety of things, but uh, she is doing his, historical women's fiction for us. World War II France. So that's a historical story with a sort of contemporary story as well. It's that mm-hmm. thing. And it's such a trend right now. Parallel story In the lines. vein of... Um, you know, The Nightingale and Martha mm-hmm. Hall Kelly and Pam Jenoff and her new book, which is out in just a couple of weeks, is mm. called The Winemaker's Wife. And it's set in the Champagne region. The cover is gorgeous. It's so beautiful, I have to say. Oh, and the um, art director and the designer just kudos. hit it out of the park. Kudos to them. It's just, it's this lush, leafy bower with hints of purple. People walking and, away into yep. this beautiful light. Yeah, it's really. And the nice thing, it turns out, is when you write a book set in the Champagne region, you have to go there and study a lot of champagne and the nice thing about editing that book is then your author sends you champagne so I'm like where do we want to go next how do you feel about chocolate I know exactly right I'm like "Hmm." the the truffle hunter's cousin yes yes (laughs) Kristen write it down (laughs) write it down I'll sign you up the truffle hunter's best friend's brother passed out at 31 flavors last night yes we're ready we're ready this poor woman is gonna be like what oh my no she's used to it <laughs> so that's a plug. So it's great if you Is it tragic? Is it sad? Is it it's um angsty? it has both highs and lows. So there is it is um 
deeply emotional, but ultimately it's uplifting at the end. Good to know. I mean, World War II. Super not joyous, happy, some dark funny, parts, skip time. But, yeah. Um, and it's very much about the relationships, the relationships of these key people. Um, so it is historical fiction, but it really, it definitely is satisfying that women's fiction. Mm -hmm. You want a great complex relationship story. Mm -hmm. So that is wonderful. Um, of course, uh, always happy to shout out Christina Lauren, who I'm sure a lot of your readers are very familiar with. Oh yes. Uh, on honeymooners, which came out in may Mm -hmm. and has the best talk about great covers, the sunny yellow cover that just makes you feel happy at you from across the room. It screams at you and says, and we'll take another pina colada. Thank you very much. It is very much like a resort color. Yeah. You only wear that color on vacation. No, exactly. It looks like a Tommy Bahama shirt kind of, you know, it does. You're totally right. And it makes sense because this is a sort of enemies to lovers stuck in paradise story so yeah that one's out now and then um in the fall do you edit you don't edit i do them. i do not no, i wish but saying. they are too prolific and i would not be able to keep up kate dresser edits them who has cloned herself because they're so prolific basically she's kate, going to have to we need kate's we need dresser. many kates yes kate's dresser <laughs> exactly exactly uh and their next book will be out in the fall and that is called Twice in a Blue Moon. Yes. Gorgeous cover too. And basically uh, that is they're you know, um, they can do rom-com. They can do women's fiction. They're doing sort of both of that. And of Mm -hmm. course, a lot of their fans found them with their beautiful bastard series. Right. So a lot hotter and a lot more explicit than what they're writing now. It's true. It's true. And they're still fun and sexy, but it's maybe less about the sex for sex and more about the emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also, it's funny to me, one of the things that I find so interesting about the inner, the interaction between fandom and publishing and author is that we're all becoming more fluent in each other's languages, but publishing is especially becoming more fluent in fandom language. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we as readers can be like, okay, women's fiction, women's historical fiction. Is Mm -hmm. this sad? Does it have a happy ending? Women's fiction contemporary. Is it a comedy or is it really angsty? Are we talking like lots of infertility and injured children and hospitalizations and parents dying and all of this really terrible stuff that that often falls on women's shoulders? Mm -hmm. Or are we talking about women's fiction? Like it's a meet cute comedy. Is it Bridget Jones? Is it it Bridget Mm -hmm. Jones or is it the Nightingale? What are we talking about? Because you could put those both under women's fiction. Yes. Although the Nightingale is more historical. Yeah. So the, the mm-hmm. term is too broad. It's so true. And, and it I love gets subdivided into yeah. like fandom terms. And I love that fans have really embraced tropes that I would have once th- expected to hear only when I used to work at Harlequin. Yeah. And you would know, oh, this is a secret baby story or right. whatever. But now I can hear a fan being bed. like, yeah. I love a second chance at love story. Yeah. You know? Oh, and yeah. that is both how we would re- refer to it professionally, but also now yeah. as a reader and often depending on which you know particular goodreads or library thing or whatever you're using or your own personal database of reading people will will tag them with tropes like that too and it's really fascinating that um the just as in production i think in reading and experiencing the boundaries have really elided yeah and and i think it makes sense because this was always a genre where some of the biggest authors in the genre started because they were like well I couldn't find the book I wanted to read, so I had to write it. That's what I did. And it, exactly, yeah. right? And I think that's, um, why not, you know? Right. Seize the, let's seize the presses. <laughs> well, I mean, at this point, it's kind of like, all right, if this is really what you want to do, what's stopping you? Are there any other books you want to mention? Oh, my gosh. There's so many to choose from. What else do I want to mention? What are you reading when you commute home? When I commute, I listen to podcasts when I commute home. And then I have, what is the last thing? Actually, what I have on my table right now that I'm reading is not a romance. It is The Last Book Party. Oh. And it is set in like the louche sort of, I think, late 80s publishing world. And it's... uh, young publishing assistant um, who has struck up a um, s- sort of friendship of sorts with an august writer who's on, who is sunsetting a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, so she's, her boss is his editor and never takes the guy's call. So she has become his connected contact. to him. And then he invites her out to Martha's Vineyard, I think for a book party 
And I assume all sorts of mayhem will ensue. Well, but I mean, I love a like old publishing story. Oh, back it's when little, back in the day when it was very much a social when it was profession. a hot mess. <laughs> and that, and I think other than that, there's so much in the trade paperback kind of rom com space that's coming out and looks amazing right now. I still, and I'm so behind on everything as part of it. So I still want to read, and I think of them by covers. I'm like, it's the pink book. Is it red, white, the and royal blue? Red, white, and royal blue yes. is pink. So is the right swipe is pink and yellow. Yes, I wanted to. Do, I want to read that. Um, I have uh, too many, too many things on the pile, and then another total not romance. And also, you all maybe have already read it, but I finally, I mostly read on vacation. Mm-hmm. I love nothing better than take a whole bag of books. Oh, I read and like then leave on... them in whatever hotel, and I'm like my I gift to you, strangers. Love it. I love checking mm-hmm. the lunder box on the, in a in a resort. It's so great. Cause... So I the one I went to in Mexico, there were Harlequins in uh, Russian, Greek, mm-hmm. Spanish. It was like amazing. I yes, loved it. Uh, I read Circe finally. Oh, the Madeline Miller. What did you think? I loved it. I love that's, a, that's it. like a woman burning it all down. It story. is. And for sure, that was a like brain stretchy. Oh, like yeah. I felt like I'd had the best kind of sort of workout for my brain. And it didn't hurt that we were like on a beach in Barbados. And I was like, yes, this is my private secret Island. And I am a witch of power. Yes. This um, is my home. It is so trespass on my wonderful and craft. It's a, it's for anyone who doesn't know or hasn't discovered yet. It's a retelling of the Circe myth from mm-hmm. Odysseus. Uh, but it starts with her beginnings and how she got to where she got. And it's incredibly empowering and feminist and smart and also super readable. Like the, you pick up the book and it can be a little daunting, especially if you don't have a ton of time and you're like, but I felt like it was also a fast, compelling read. Mm -hmm. Like it really is amazing. So uh, thumbs up for that, even though it is not a romance per se, but in the end it is very, it's, it's sort of Cersei's I choose me. Yeah. Story. Screw you. Yeah. Get fucked. <laughs> Why not? Actually, that that sounds like it could be a romance series of its own what, somehow. Get fucked? Screw you will be book one. Yeah. Get fucked will be two. Get and um, Happy ending will be book three. I love this. Done I love done. this plan. Is, are you going to become a packager now so you come up with Perfect. the plot and the outline and just can't Yeah, that's later? all I want to do is I want to say words into the air and then make other people do all the heavy lifting of actually create, writing books. I will just be like, I'm kind of an idea girl and then see how that goes. <laughs> Can I get someone to just pay me for that? Listen, I've had so many conversations in the past two days. Are like, listen, when we're queen, yes, when we share the monarchy, this is what. When we are empress of mm-hmm. all, we survey. This is what will happen. Perfect, it works, and we'll totally be fine sharing because women working together, supporting each we other. It'll can, be a collective. We it's can great. Work this together, we'll be intersectionally collective and awesome. Excellent. <laughs> Buy more books, people. Everybody enjoy. Yay, books! <laughs> And that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed our conversation, and I want to thank Abby Zeidel for hanging out with me at RWA. You can find Abby online. Her Twitter and Instagram is really charming. It's absurdity, A-B-Z-U-R-D-I-T-Y. And of course, I will have links if you'd like to follow her Instagram or her Twitter. She's one of the most insightful people I know in publishing, so I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you have questions or suggestions or things you'd like to ask me, sbjpodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave me a voicemail at 1-201-371-3272. It is always awesome to hear from you. Today's podcast is sponsored by Muff Stuff, book three in the Mafia series by Anne Royal Nicholas. Costly, coddled canines are missing all over the Southland. Sarah, a baking whiz and member of LA's most dynamic women's book club, is a soon-to-be single mom who's about to get foreclosed upon thanks to her philandering ex-husband. Her son, Nathaniel, is being bullied at science camp, and his L's sound like W's. No wonder she's having trouble getting through the muff's latest read. Sarah launches a plan to save her house while building a baking good empire, and before too long, things start looking up. Her cookies are a hit. Nathaniel's L's are improving, and she meets a handsome widower who makes her feel sexy for the first time in years. But when she foils a plot to steal her family's adopted French bulldog and Muff Lauren's Boston Terriers go missing in the middle of her Labor Day barbecue, it's time for the Mafia to mobilize. With the assistance of a Palm Springs Magic Men Live aficionado, a vengeful pug owner, and three Bichon Forissé, 
the muffs set off to nab the nappers and discover that dog thieves come in surprising guises. Muff Stuff and all the books in the Muffia series can be found wherever books are sold. And you can find out more at anroyalnicholas.com. Today's podcast, Transcript, is brought to you by Star Knight Errant, thrust by A.K. Shelley. If you like Celia Kyle and Anna Hackett, you will love this sci-fi romance filled with action and passion. When Martian air science engineer Cass Headley takes a dare to use her new artificial intelligence system for a night of erotic release, there's only one man she can imagine spending time with, the legendary comic book hero Star Knight Errant. She imagines strong hands, hard abs, and bubble baths, but her black market AI has another idea, an illegal fight club that will only end in her sexy companion's death or hers. When Evander Moore transports to an unknown desert planet, his mission changes. Instead of brokering a peace deal, he'll figure out what backwater he's landed on and enjoy a well-earned weekend off with a gorgeous scientist. But when things get hotter than a supernova between them, he discovers he only has 18 hours to stop an AI bent on murder, convince Cass that he's more than fiction, and find a way to cross the gulf between galaxies to bring her home. The Orange County chapter of RWA gave this story the Charlotte Award for Emerging Writers in 2018, and author Anita Fillmore says it hits all the buttons to excite and thrill. Star Knight Errant, Thrust by A.K. Shelley is on pre-order now wherever books are sold and releases August 26th. Find out more at akshelley.com. Hello, Patreon community. Thank you for being so awesome. If you would like to join the Patreon community, it would be excellent if you did have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. If what we do is meaningful and helpful and helps get you through your week, thank you for joining us. And if you would like to support the show with a pledge of $1 a month, patreon.com slash smartbitches. Your support for the show means everything. So thank you. The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. This is the Peat Bog Fairies from their album Black House. This track is called The Dragon's Apprentice. I don't know about you, but I am still looking for a really good story about an apprentice to a dragon. That would be pretty cool. Either way, you can find this album at Amazon or iTunes or wherever you like to buy your funky, funky music. I will have links to all of the things that we talked about. Skimmies, chafing gel, beauty blenders... And of course, XOXO After Dark. There aren't any new episodes, but I will link specifically to your IUD will set you free. And if you're looking for a new podcast to binge on, I highly recommend it. And of course, I will link to all of the books that we discussed. And now, bad joke time. You ready for a bad joke? I'm ready for a bad joke. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Did you hear about the guy who won't eat Atlantic cod? Like, at all. Why won't he eat Atlantic cod? He has Pacific taste in seafood. (laughs) There are so many Pacific jokes. That one just made me so charmed. That's from Bridgehead Prod. So, you know, how many other ways can you have Pacific taste? (laughs) I have Pacific taste in jokes, I can tell you that. Although, I don't know which ocean they're from. Whichever ocean is the worst one for bad jokes, because those are the jokes I love the most. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back here next week.